welcome everyone. Today we have a special guest, Dan Massey from Truist. Dan Massey is the executive vice president and head of enterprise digital banking over at Truist, formerly SunTrust and BB&T, obviously, for those of you in town and in the know. Dan, thanks for joining the show today. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Great to be with you. As always, my co-host, Alex Otanias from Shaco, sitting along next to me. What's going on, Alex? Hey, Nick, how are you doing? Uh, excited to talk to Dan here and, and just learn more about what Truist is doing in this digital space. Yeah, talking about designing for finance today. And you know, on the, on the surface, you wouldn't think finance may be the, the sexiest of topics. But if you look back at the last 12 to 18 months, I think there's a heck of a lot going on and probably some really fascinating, compelling stuff that we can all learn from. So Dan, excited to have you on and talk about some of these unique elements that we've been going through over the last 18 months. For anyone who may have checked out Dan on LinkedIn, according to LinkedIn, he is responsible for aligning business, marketing, research and design, and technology partners to deliver a digital vision and roadmap, creating distinctive client journey-based experiences that meet and exceed their needs. So essentially, all UI, UX, and user experiences and that type of thing, I think, go through Dan, and and we'll learn a little bit more about what Dan does as, as we go through his story here. But Dan, I want to I want to start off with your digital vision and your your kind of roadmap and how that's changed and evolved over the last eighteen months. I imagine you had one vision pre twenty twenty or leading up to twenty twenty, and and that's probably evolved or changed or iterated in some capacity. Can you talk a little bit about where you were maybe January twenty twenty and what was on your horizon and your dashboard and what your vision was? Yeah, it, it's it's been an interesting journey. I'd say that the the overall vision that probably has been consistent, I think the pace of adoption and some of the ways that we've responded to recent events have definitely shifted. But one of the great things about Truist is it starts with both heritage organizations with BB&T and SunTrust, both with very strong purpose-oriented organizations. And now Truist comes together with, it, it all kind of starts with our purpose, which is helping to make lives better and build better communities. And so as we were building on that, and then, for example, we hit instances like uh, the pandemic. So we were, of course, very focused and, and continue to be on merging the two institutions, creating new experiences, getting the benefit of the new scale and tech investment from this merger of equals. But we also then had to pivot and make sure that we were really living up to our purpose and taking care of our clients, right? So you've got the pandemic that hits, access to bank branches generally across all of our competitors pulled way, way back. We uh, had to provide alternative ways to support clients, improve some of the the digital experiences, increase mobile deposit limits, provide scheduling of telephone support for remote service, new uh, chat bots to help folks get access to all of the rapidly evolving information. And then, of course, there was the PPP loan program for small businesses where we had to stand up an entire origination process digitally literally in days. So th- this was an incredible effort by a, a cross-functional team to come together, really put the client in the center of the room and find ways to make sure that we were um, that we were meeting their needs as they go through a very difficult time. And that was true for consumers or businesses and corporations that we were working with. So we still had to keep marching uh, forward on the merger and work to get that completed, which we're still in process. But really making sure that we're living up to our purpose and taking care of our clients was a a huge factor. And it drove a lot of adoption, uh, as you can imagine, in the digital channels in the last 12 months or so. So, so Dan, quick question on that. So obviously, you had to do a lot of what you you spoke about quicker, right? So you said it was the speed of adoption and the speed of change that that was, uh, I guess, part of the difficulty. 
what are some of the strategies that you guys use to basically usher in this change quickly with good quality? So can you can you give our audience one or two tips that, that you think helped you guys and, and might help them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that um, there were a couple of things that helped us move at, at pace. First, you know, one of the things that we've, we're already leaning into and we really just leaned in even harder is what we refer to as truest agile, right? So it's based on a scaled, scaled agile framework, but it is more prominent around the role of research and design and client empathy and client journeys. And so we really leaned into this agile way of working. Uh, we had made a lot of progress building out capabilities around things like leveraging cloud, particularly for you on API layers to rapidly iterate. We've got some great partners and folks like Salesforce that we could utilize some of their capabilities. And we've got in our own virtual private cloud instances, improved CICD, like automated pipelines for frequent releases, things like that. And I will tell you, part of it is, you know, the organization with the still with a proper risk guardrails, if you will, really just kind of got out of the way and let the teams run in this agile way of working. So we were able to to co-create with clients. I personally had a uh, an instance where uh, I knew a small business owner that was asking for assistance. I connected them with the teams that were building this PPP portal, and we were able to actually pull clients into the process to test this out, beta test, interact with it, give us feedback, make rapid iterations and, and tweaks. So that was that that agile methodology and some of the virtual private cloud capabilities really helped us in in this instance. And, and so so I'm sorry, Nick. Just a couple of questions. I, um, Dan, you're you're weaving in business and 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 consumer here, right? Which is which is incredible because it seems like they're right. one and the same, and you're basically creating this experience. But again, just just for our audience, like how do you separate them when you're designing for this experience? And do you separate them? Do you need to at this point, right? Because you spoke about business and the PPP loans, and then you spoke about the end consumer and depositing a check, which applies to both. But as a company, should people be separating businesses from consumers for those people that are designing for both? Yeah, it's a great question, Alex. And, and the, the answer is a little bit contextual. So for example, there are definitely some unique consumer use cases and journeys that folks go through, particularly in, during this pandemic, there was a lot of um, payment deferral type of programs that were really geared toward you know, residential mortgage, lending, things like that, where we stood up very specific experience flows, very empathy-driven experience flows for those folks. PPP obviously was more of a small business targeted element. One of the things for the new truest experience that we're bringing together, because we know some of those experiences intersect, is uh, this concept of if we have a business client that is also a personal client, they go into a single experience, single login, and can simply toggle between those two views because we know that their lives are intertwined. So we're trying to design this the way people live and work and engage in life versus them having to come and conform to our internal constructs. That's a big part of this client journey way of working and co-creating with clients is to do that research, really understand the jobs to be done and design it from the client's perspective. Dan, you mentioned bringing the, some of the users into the process when you're developing the new PPP portal. Can you talk a little bit about the types of feedback that you were able to get from them, types of scenarios that you encountered, how you made sure you had the right swath of people I also imagine that you're dealing with people who are pretty stressed in, in a stressful time. So I imagine their psychology is, is you know, not as, as maybe stable as you would expect a normal tester to be. So what was that experience like bringing in users right off the bat? I'm actually impressed to hear that you guys did that so quickly. Sure. And, I, and I'll give you some of that context, which was this really intense mode. And then I'll talk to you a little bit more about how we have done this with our new experiences, which is more of a scaled effort. 
But for the PPP small business lending, it was a bit of a mix in that we were able to identify specific clients. In some cases, those were were folks that were kind of hand raisers that were reaching out to us asking for how could they participate? How could they help? And we simply asked if we can enroll them in the process. So they were they were leaning in a little bit and we met them kind of halfway to bring them into the process. And some of the, the feedback was general usability. Some of it was they were running into edits. All You have to understand all these requirements, even from the federal government, were shifting almost on a, an hourly basis. So we were putting out you know these new releases and changes. These clients would help us go through flows. And if there was something that either didn't make sense or that it was, you know, they were hitting some type of edit or usability issue, we could rapidly incorporate that. And then as we scaled it out, we, you know, we have a, a great approach for our clients where we take every bit of feedback in, we evaluate it, we, we listen to it, we categorize it, we put it in a backlog, we rapidly iterate to try to improve those experiences at scale as we go forward. So if you take that kind of intense period and then think about how we're building the new truest digital experience, which we're taking kind of the best of both of the heritage organizations' experiences and building a brand new digital platform, new online banking, mobile. This is also true, separate platforms, commercial, treasury space, that type of thing. But we've done over 100 research studies, over 15,000 participant hours, tons of activity. And I've actually sat in on a number of these to watch our clients interact. And it starts with just foundational needs-based research. What challenges do they have where we can help them? We know from our research that financial stress can be a huge impact to just general quality of life and happiness. So we really want to help folks address those kind of root causes and drivers and, and improve their happiness, whether it's a company or, or a consumer. So we really re- lean into this co-creation. And the concept of the client journey is also through that research to find out what is that end-to-end job to be done and make sure we're nailing all aspects of it versus individual features or pain points. Dan, when you talk about all the different platforms that you're aggregating or bringing together with the two businesses, I mean, in the financial institution, you already have multiple platforms and portals and, and places where a consumer goes. And then you're now you're merging you know, two companies together. Are you building from scratch? Are you starting fresh or are you trying to take the best and you know the best practices from each company and, and and building off of that? Are you using different templates or is it all all right everyone start from scratch and build this how we would want to build it? Yeah, it's it's been a fascinating process. It's a little bit of a blend in that we've had a lot of great momentum both with the heritage organizations on deploying and maturing particular features. At the same time, we have an opportunity to do something new and uh, more progressive for our clients as we move to this new truest merger of equals. And so, you know, part of what we're doing is leveraging the concepts of the features and things that we know have worked really well and support our clients, but we're creating an, an entirely new experience. We have new branding. It's a brand new tech stack, which is built for agility and speed. We're even doing something particularly innovative because our core bank conversion, some of the back-end systems like our deposit system, that actually won't fully convert until first quarter of next year. However, we're rolling our digital experiences out now, and we're doing that through this concept called a digital straddle. So it's it's a, an API-based layer where we know when we migrate a client to the new experience, whether they're Heritage BB&T or Heritage SunTrust, and we can route the traffic to the appropriate back-end system, but it all comes together in a cohesive experience. And then once we do hit that core bank conversion, we simply collapse those APIs down. And that helps us to de-risk by avoiding a big bank conversion. We are migrating clients 
in waves. We already have a million invitations out to clients uh, to go into the new experience. We can smooth out those waves out to make sure that our teammates, which are our employees that are in bank branches and contact centers, can help clients, and then we smooth that volume out. And we can get constant feedback and make improvements as we go because we're doing releases all the time, adding new features and taking into consideration feedback. So that's a good example of how we're we're able to get out ahead of the the main conversion and get these new experiences out there, leveraging the best of both heritage organizations. So Dan, I love the way that you're talking about this iterative approach that that you are taking to to get improved user experiences out to the new users. What design frameworks came in handy as as you combined both heritage banks? Did you use any frameworks that that basically brought both brands together to create a cohesive brand? So we have the user experience aspect, right? How do you access the information and and how do I engage in the best way possible? From a user interface perspective, are there any any frameworks that come to mind that that you would suggest that that came in handy and and again, improve that process? Yeah, I I don't know that I would reference a specific framework as much as I would say, again, it's very research-based. We did try to take some contemporary design elements. So what you're going to see is some more white space, generally speaking. We're we're trying to be more crisp. We're factoring in things like ADA accessibility from a digital standpoint. We're heavily utilizing design systems to be sure that we have efficient and consistent navigational structures and calls to action and things like that. We're taking big steps forward in the maturity of a lot of those concepts. And again, going through and just testing all of that extensively with our clients. Um, One of the the things that we have to do, which is tough, because no matter what you do, there's a change aversion whenever you shift these things, right? Everybody goes through that. So we really extensively tested the migration flow. You pull up the old experience and then it takes you through a process to move you over to the new experience. We tested that extensively with clients made a lot of changes. And uh, that's actually been one of the the parts that has been the most smooth as we get really positive feedback on the ease of, of migration. So I'd say it's the overall methodology, Alex, that's coming together. And then the maturity of the, these concepts, like the design systems that we're, that we're leaning into. Dan, you mentioned white space and a lot of times just in design, less is more, but in, right. in a financial environment, I mean, most of those portals involve a variety of fine print, a variety of different inputs, a lot of data going in and out. There's a lot happening on any financial portal I've ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. So how do you trim that down? How do you look at things and, and are you cutting things in and out and making sure, okay, we only put the most critical things here? Or are you designing in some way so that all that fine print and all the different elements just are more elegant than they, than they usually are? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination, right? So we're, we are being diligent to make sure that we're presenting the most relevant information in a way that is easy to access and navigate, right? So you, you can get to all the information that you need. The other thing I will tell you is we're really trying to be very careful to put this in the language of clients versus in banking speak. And that can fill up a lot of lot of space when you're trying to you know put banking speak in there. So we do have better utilization, particularly in, in the web online banking context, a lot of good use of white space, but still all the relevant information accessible and really, really easy to navigate to the spots that you need. And similarly, we took a lot of best practices in the mobile space around the tray across the bottom where you can access frequent uh, frequent features and then some navigation constructs that, again, make it very easy to navigate to the information that you need. Alex, I was going to ask him a little bit about the mobile space and um, how much he's juggling the mobile versus desktop. And Dan, you mentioned best practices in mobile, so I'll, I'll maybe defer to Alex a little bit here. But 
what is your focus in terms of overall resources between you know just making sure that the the back end and front end are are good to go versus you know that mobile experience? I think we may have lost Dan unless he's the most still person possible. Alex, maybe while we get Dan back on the line. Yeah, I was just going to say that was a great answer. Um, that that, that <laughs> was that was incredible, Nick. You you froze him with your question. Um, no, yeah. I think it's it's, it's fascinating. I, I think uh, when when Dan comes back, I'm curious to hear this. But I was actually running some analytics on our side, and one of the things that I found out is when the pandemic hit, we we basically buckled down, thinking that everybody was going to go mobile. But the reality was people went home, right? And so they were they were behind a computer for the majority of 18 months. So the first three months, people were trying to take care of their kids or basically be a little engaged. And you saw like a little mobile usage, a lot, I should say. And then as the pandemic kind of like came came forward, people basically hunkered down and went straight into the laptops. And as we've come out of the pandemic, we, we've basically seen a little mini explosion of mobile usage. Right, so people are no longer stationary, and they're no longer at work. We're truly in this hybrid mode where where mobile has become even more important now as we come out of the pandemic because we are not stationary in in either the office or at home anymore, and we're kind of experimenting what works for one of each of us. And um, I, I want to see what Dan says with respect to banking because I'm I'm very curious. Can you guys hear me? Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you fine. Yeah, I just, we froze. Guys, Alex just told me that the question was so good. I just completely froze you up. <laughs> um, I, I did hear the I did hear the question, so I can jump into that if it's if that's go good. for it. So great question on on web versus mobile. The, one of the interesting things about banking in particular is it's very use case dependent, right? So we've seen a tremendous amount of mobile adoption. Even though I think you're right, a lot of folks were still behind you know monitors and computers when they were at home during the pandemic. But the other thing to consider is the fact that in banking, we also had this concept of mobile deposit, right? So not able to as easily access bank branches. Maybe folks didn't want to go out and drive. So we saw a big uptick in mobile deposit adoption, up 22%, uh, you know, 24% year over year. And so we've seen that mobile adoption grow pretty considerably. We've seen uh, use of Zelle, which is the, the P2P money movement feature, is up 65 plus percent year over year. And that's a predominantly a mobile-based use case. So we still see a strong usage for web, but we our, our predominant growth is in mobile and has been for a while. And that accelerated during the, the pandemic for sure. Yeah, I think um, on, on the Zelle note, one of the things that I noticed, and, and I was speaking to my wife about this just the other day, I all but stopped using cash. I just, I don't remember the last time I had a $20 bill in my hand to actually pay for something, right? I, exactly. I might be like moving it from my wallet to my office or something, but it's, it's Zelle, it's PayPal, it's it's Venmo, it's it's right. whatever, whatever, whatever transfer mechanism might be. So it's it's fascinating. Um, on, on that note, from a mobile perspective, one of the things that we've noticed over the last, I say two or three months is the pace of releases. Are you guys releasing features on, on a more steady basis now now that, that we are coming out of the pandemic and, and customers are really moving around? And, and how are you guys doing that? You talked about CICD, so I'm assuming that, that you guys are basically pushing stuff out a little quicker, but but what's your strategy there? Yeah, so we're, we're releasing frequently. We have a, a substantive release scheduled monthly, but we do releases more frequently than that. Um, we're releasing uh, because we now have kind of this blue-green capability with our virtual private cloud. So we're doing UI and API releases in the middle of the business day, which helps with validation and that type of thing and not wearing teams out, you know, releasing every weekend, et cetera. So we're probably averaging 
I'd say three releases a month and we can do you know more if we need to. But that's based on kind of the scheduled March uh, as we go through and add, continue to add features. So, so Dan, I had one last question for you. This has been incredible, by the way. Thank you. In terms of uh, of technology, so we've spoken about desktop, we've spoken about mobile, we've spoken about essentially your your consumer and and uh, business brands. Are you guys are you guys thinking of using any other technology? So so watch or or maybe a Alexa. Are are you guys basically focused on anything outside of the screen? Yeah, for sure. We we've we've got a couple of things we're really um, leaning into. One is is the voice aspect, right? So we are going to be deploying at the end of first quarter a new virtual assistant. It'll have the ability, uh, again, very use case based. So if you're in front of a desktop, if it's the appropriate, you can use it more like a traditional chat vehicle, but still get to a live agent, by the way. I, I should mention one of the big things around the truest strategy is this concept of T3, which is technology plus touch equals trust. So we're not just technology. We're really blending these things together. So from a, this chat experience, we're not saying that you you know you can only use an AI driven chatbot and you can never get to a live agent. We're blending those things together where we'll we'll provide easy access to virtual assistants, but if you need to get to a live agent, we're making that really seamless as part of this T3 experience. So that's one, but that will also provide voice capabilities, right? So if you think about an Alexa or Siri type experience, we're designing for all that. In fact, we're using some of the same natural language processing engines as Alexa behind it partnering with AWS. So that's an area. The other area, which is really interesting, is this concept of open banking, which is all, all external APIs. Instead of folks coming to our channels, we go meet them where they are. That could be in a consumer experience. It could be with corporations and their ERP systems. So we're really investing a lot in the capability of us embedding in those experiences, which we believe is the new emerging channel where we want to embed where people are working and living and experiencing their lives and meeting them there versus forcing them always to come to us. Dan, Dan, thanks so much for all this content. I think there's um, we got a, a lot of the story about Truist, but also a lot of great tips and tricks and just some perspective um, from your experience on, on how things are going and, and where things are going. As we round out here, we're about 25 minutes in or so. Um, I'd love to get your thought on what you're doing to stay sharp, whether it's podcasts that you're listening to, maybe you have a recent book that you read that, that you'd love to share. Maybe there's a journal or a magazine or something that you, you keep on your, your nightstand regularly. But can you share with our audience some content or something that they might want to dive into on this subject that maybe helps you stay motivated and stay sharp in your work? Yeah, I, I will. Um, I'll tell you, I do a, I do a couple of things. Um, I definitely love to read. I, I read a lot of articles around design, around um, empathy, client empathy, client journeys. I spend a lot of time with our, our design teams. I spend a lot of time with kind of smaller group industry forums where we compare notes around uh, different things like the, the PPP example is a, a great one where we're trying to come together and help, you know, help everyone and uh, was a good opportunity to share uh, notes. I will tell you one of the things I love to do the most, and this is probably a little different than what you were looking for, but I really enjoy spending time with clients. Uh, and this is a huge cultural thing with Truist. I attend all of the, uh, as many of these research focus groups and, and testing as possible. I read every uh, bit of client feedback that comes in. I spend a lot of time with our designers going deep in design thinking sessions. And I find I pick up a lot from, we have some super talented people and continue to bring in talented folks from that client journey mentality, the research and design perspective, the empathy perspective. We have very talented engineers 
on technical approaches. So I spend a lot of time with those folks and with clients and they, they keep me on my toes. Yeah. For sure. When you talk about content consumption, that's actually a, a fascinating answer in a lot of different ways. Coming from RVA Tech, which is the Trade Association for Technology, you know, we, we try to connect our community and bring people together. And sometimes explaining to people that, that networking and relationships are just about being there and being there more often. And then over time, that trust happens and those relationships get built. But you can't do that unless you're just you're there and you're present as often as possible. It's not just you know one networking event and one drink or one coffee with somebody. It's just constant iteration over time and just being there. Alex, maybe you notice the same thing. I mean, you're in a service-oriented business. Right. Yeah, I was actually just talking to somebody about this, right? It's 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 trust. Trust is built over time by being present. And then I think that's what you and Dan just described. So I, I love the fact that, that you answered the question by saying, listen, I can read as much as I want, but the reality is the customers tell me how well we're doing. And and hearing that feedback basically is justification or, or more reason to do my job, right? And so I love that answer. Well, and, and I applaud what you all are doing with RVA Tech. I think it's a fantastic organization approach. So I applaud you for everything you're doing. Thanks, Dan. And I'm a Richmond native, so I particularly I particularly have affinity for it. So cool. Well, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you being on the show with us today. We appreciate all your insight and your perspective. And I uh, thanks for making a few minutes for us. Absolutely, it's been my pleasure. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, great, uh, great time spending with you, <laughs> Nick and Alex. I appreciate everything. All right, we'll see you next time.